0: Designed yourself thousands of shoes.
1: We did shoes for Lil Wayne and Nas, Eminem and Jay Z.
0: How many pairs of shoes do you own?
1: Probably about 10,000 pairs. Say what? 10,000.
0: Tell me about your time designing Jordan.
1: I learned business from watching Mr. Jordan. He takes the design process as serious as preparing for the NBA Finals. Like, I build for scale because I want to have impact at scale.
0: Oh, I wish more people would think that way. Jason, how are you doing?
1: I am blessed. I'm so happy to finally be here with you. This is awesome. I'm a fan of you and the show, so this is Oh,
0: awesome. well, thank you so much. I'm a fan of yours, you know, and I don't know a ton about the sneaker culture, yep. but your name has come up in, you know, year after year after year, do you know Jason? Mm-hmm. And thankfully I do. <laughs> yes. But I wanted to get to know you more. I want yep. to understand more. So just off the bat, what, how would you describe your role and what you do?
1: Yeah, I would say, for me, the most important titles that I hold is that of a father and a husband. Um, vocationally and professionally, those are the things you put on LinkedIn for, to impress the world, to feed the ego. But I understand I'm a steward of two children, and I'm a partner to a phenomenal human being that's allowed me to be me, so that's who I am. What I do professionally is I turn imagination into physical products. So anything that I think of, anything that I think could help society, I tend to bias towards that. Um, so a product designer, meaning industrial design, graphic designer, angel investor. Um, I've just used creativity as my jump shot. So people go to the league, I went to Nike and did shoes. So similar, but different.
0: Well, so have, do you know how to actually construct shoes or are you more on the...
1: No, I actually know how to construct shoes. So um, I went and stayed in Asia, um, two different countries, three different countries actually, learned everything from assembly to distribution, to um, customs, to like every single step in the supply chain. So I can stitch, I can sew, I can 3D model, I can create molds. So it's, it's, I try not to do things if I don't understand how to make things because it, now it's just aesthetically pleasing. Um, so I love making things, so bikes, shoes, cars, clothes.
0: Go back and say that again. You tend not to...
1: I tend not to try to design something if I don't know how to make it. Why? Because I think you don't have an appreciation for the people in the value chain. When you think, let me draw this picture, someone should just make it. The reality is there's someone physically that still takes their hands and places rubber in a mold to make the outsole of a shoe if i have too many pieces of rubber that means this person's taking their thumb and they're pressing pieces for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours hours on end so when a designer does not understand the manufacturing processes it's not that they're being innovative they're being negligent to the fact that you have to think of the people who make this every process is not automated yet and even automated processes still has human input so I design for the human element. If it's easy to assemble and it's easy to be manufactured, then it's easily scalable. Mm. When you complicate things, now you're making a niche product. That's art. Like I build for scale because I want to have impact at scale.
0: That's so interesting. It reminds me of who we call visionaries. Mm. Um, and sometimes people are called visionaries, and they have a team of a hundred behind them. And it's like, well, what about the team?
1: It's always about. What, what the
0: part team. do they play? That's so interesting. Tell me about your time designing Jordan Mm -hmm. because that's what you know anytime somebody looks you up that's what they see first Mm -hmm. what was that like
1: it was so for context at seven years old I had septicemia which is an infectious blood um, disease that could have took my life so I was terminally ill at seven thankfully I'm here I overcame that but I read Batman 307 that was the first time dr. Lucius Fox Came into the narrative, and he was the black guy who made all the gadgets for Batman. So, in my seven year old mind, I reconciled that if I survived, then I wanted to grow up and create for who I thought was Bruce Wayne, which was Michael at the time, because I grew up in Chicago. So, from about seven till about 16, I wrote letters to Nike. I called them. I pretended to be related to their executives, had no clue. Like, you hear Tinker Hatfield's name. I thought Tinker Hatfield was black. That sounds like a black nickname. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Tinker, he's got to be my cousin. Um, and so, when I finally got there, um, I realized that I was Nike's first black industrial design intern. And so they had all these athletes that looked like me, but there wasn't a person who was designing for them that was young and also understood the sentiments, the cultural nuances, some of the things, the angst, the anxiety that comes with being the only person in your family to get to a certain level. Um, And then I almost made it, it almost made me feel like it was, it wasn't about me. You know, it wasn't about the fact that I was the first, I didn't want to be the last. So working for MJ, I learned that he's a better businessman than he is athlete, which is scary to say. Like mm-hmm. I learned business from watching Mr. Jordan.
0: Because w- how in the world can he be better at something than he is at basketball?
1: This man is has a photographic memory, is a data junkie, like literally a data junkie. We would argue over white papers and like longitudinal studies. He understand. he's a quant by nature. Wow. Um, and so seeing his preparation for every meeting and realizing he takes the design process as serious as preparing for the NBA Finals it told me that creativity is a sport, right? But it isn't a perishable skill. I don't get worse at creativity as I get older like I would get worse at sport, which means I have to remain curious. So designing at Nike, what it taught me is that curiosity is the difference maker between innovation and just random objects that are novel. Um, because when you keep asking the proper questions, you get to better outcomes. And most designers are told, oh, you solve problems. No, my job is to ask questions. Mm-hmm. If I ask the right questions and the answer reveals itself. So it was a phenomenal experience. We ended up um, starting what now is known in culture as celebrity collaborations. At that time, you know, you say fashion, it was the F word because fashion and sport didn't go together. Mm-hmm. The athlete was still the hero. But growing up, you know, our heroes were the local neighborhood people who dress well. So that was my athlete and the block was the runway. The block was the court. So we started to merge in both cultures, music and sport. We did shoes for Lil Wayne and Nas and eminem and jay-z and all these other people we would see product to um and then there was this young up-and-coming artist named drake (laughs) who was wearing fake jordans at a a jordan event um because he grew up in the south and that's the thing there Um, and so we got to see the evolution of culture and sport come together and we also got to see the evolution of digital technology and sport come together because we would we would drive shoes up to vancouver canada for ea and have them scan the shoes so it's accurate in the game just like it, it was being worn on court Um, And this was before it was normal, so it was great because we were able to break a lot of rules, create new precedent, and create opportunities for people.
0: Can I ask you, uh, do you think the new Jordan movie is going to show the nuance of how brilliant Michael Jordan is, or do you think it's going to be a runway for Matt Damon and uh, the other one?
1: Yeah, dude, I think it's going to be a runway for now, Yeah, to be honest with you. Because the story, the way they position it, they're giving too much credit to Sonny Vaccaro. It was MJ's father and mother that decided for him to go there. They really yeah. wouldn't want to push. Yeah. Now, I haven't seen the movie. I don't know the script. But from the previews, it seems like they downplay, downplay the fact that Michael wanted to go to Adidas. Mm-hmm. He did not want to go to Nike. Nike didn't have any of his heroes that yeah. were athletes at that time. Yeah. It was his father and his mother who were really pivotal in that yeah. decision.
0: And they may show that we don't know yet you know at this recording time we don't know but i i just i I can say what i feel right
1: because
0: i just felt so uh intrigued we'll call it that (laughs) these two white men were being uh centered yeah and they were only being centered. nobody asked them to (laughs) they said oh we're gonna do it we're gonna buy this right these rights now what would be really amazing is if we're proven wrong and it is a hero's tale for these two parents and for yeah. Michael. But yeah. w- the way you're describing him is not a way I've ever heard him describe.
1: Oh, man. Michael, Mr. Jo- I call him Mr. Jordan. I call him Mr. Knight, Mr. Knight. They um, personally paid for me to go to grad school. They invested in me from the age of 19 um, until the, my early 30s. So I have the utmost respect for what they've done for me personally. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I try to explain to people about working for Mr. Jordan is he's the most competitive person i've ever worked with but he also expects you to step into your own greatness he would tell me jason greatness isn't doing one thing well it's doing small things well consistently do the small things well do well when no one's looking so these are lessons that michael learned from his parents so the way his parents talked to him is the way he talked to us and led us Mm. because he wasn't just a celebrity that signed a deal he was a leader on our team like when he came in we sat around the table like we were in huddle in game six So I'm with my childhood hero getting a pep talk like it's the fourth quarter with 10 seconds left on the clock. And I realized that he's a human being that still has a lot of hunger, still has a lot of aspiration, still has a lot of humility to know that he couldn't do this without us. And so that gave me a responsibility to carry myself a certain way (laughs) because I had a responsibility and a lot of privilege that I didn't even know I had. Because a lot of times you grow up in an inner city, you're told of your disadvantages. Then I realized I'm 6'2", I'm a male, born in America, heterosexual, English-speaking as a first language. That's all before I say the word black. That's a hell of a lot of privilege. Mm-hmm. What do I do with that privilege to help other people? I saw that from Mike. He doesn't get credit for the work he's done because he's not seeking credit, but that man has put countless amounts of kids through college, kids like me who didn't deserve, you know, the things that I got early on because of how I carried myself. I didn't know I was unprofessional at 19, you know, you're just a kid. Um, So I hope they show the ethics and morals and values of Michael's parents because that is 100% why he signed a Nike and why Jordan Brand is the way it is.
0: Can I ask you to speak to 18 and 19 year olds right now? Yeah. Just speak to them.
1: I think it's the hardest time in the history of the world to be a teenager because you're expected to act like an adult and then you also aren't given the responsibilities of an adult. It's like grow up, be more mature. But they don't have good examples of adults who are doing that. It's inconsistent what we're asking from them and what we're displaying. We're not congruent in being good people. And I see this in the faith community where there's a huge exodus of youth from faith because they see this new group of people who are growing up to hate everybody. That's not what faith is. It's unconditional love. It's non-judgment. So they're living in what I call malignant normality and which means that there's a ton of people that have a platform that are getting you to become desensitized to trauma desensitized to hatred desensitized to understanding that the youth will save us we keep thinking that these these the young people are unprepared to lead the reality is they have no choice yes it's a dereliction of duty and responsibility from our generation and above on our leadership capabilities we keep conflating being a boss with a leader and we say be a boss and my dad would tell me all the time, like, if you are a leader and no one's following you, you're just a dude taking a walk. There's a lot of people taking walks that aren't real <laughs> leaders. <laughs> but we've simplified leadership. Off a of the- of ledge. Off a ledge. And so I-, I fundamentally believe that the highest calling for me at this point in my career is to serve the youth is to inspire the youth that's why i lean on a frederick Douglass quote it's better to raise a strong child than to fix a broken man so i'm trying to build stronger children i have no time for broken adults
0: you have a book called a kid's book about design yes and you try to speak to the youth mm-hmm. what do you say in this book and yeah. why should parents pick it up
1: yeah so the book is i, I, break, I break it down this way the kid's book is a mixtape And my second book is my full album. I took my narrative and I distilled it into nine core principles of creativity. And the reason why creativity is the most important thing we should teach in school is because it's led through empathy and it's led through observation and humility. I can create for people I don't relate to because I understand I have biases. So I describe why biases limit products from being you know uh, accessible to everyone i explain how the design process is really um, a conversation between you and culture mm. and i give kids the tools and the agency to know the responsibility of creating good design and i also demystify for children and parents that design isn't drawing that's drawing drawing is drawing designing is question asking like you're a designer you're typically will be considered an investor no you are a kind econ- economic designer you create economic outcomes that is a process of design they are image designers, they are story designers, they are civil, pol- civics uh, designers, policy makers. This is all a form of design. Because what people haven't really been taught is when you look at design objectively, it's infrastructure. It's everything in society that we interact with. So I can't limit it to drawing. When we limit it to drawing, we automatically alienate a group of people who aren't artistically inclined and think they can never do what I do. I disagree with that, so I try to show kids You don't have to be an artist to be a designer. You don't have to be, quote unquote, in the creative arts to do things that are considered creative. Mm. Um, Because I do believe that that is the way forward, because I don't want a generation of consumers. I want a generation of creators. Yes. And if you can create, you can control your destiny. And that's what that book is starting to teach them, are the tools, and it's a book that's been picked up by CEOs and by elementary schools. So it's awesome because the language and the information is applicable uh, intergenerationally.
0: I should, by the way, speaking of being an investor, I should uh, disclose that I'm an investor in the company that publishes. The kids call? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Your book. So uh, one of the reasons, but I saw it separately from that yeah. uh, because I just love those books. That whole series is amazing, and I'm so excited that they have you there. You have another book. You said that this was like the appetizer. Yeah, this is amazing. This sense. book is called The Speed, the Speed of, Grace, of Grace, and it looks gorgeous. I don't. Thank you. I'm going to pick it up so I can we can show it a little bit better um, to this camera. Hey, tell me a little bit about this book.
1: So this book um, is an extension of the kids book, but it's more in depth. And what I'm doing with this book is creating a conversation that starts to align what's happening with the mental health crisis in our society with what's happening with poor leadership in corporate America. We talk about mental health like it's in a silo, Mm -hmm. but we don't. Talk about it in a way that includes the human aspect. Like the same people that are hurting are the same people going to work, the same people that are getting promoted, the same people we're putting into these powerful positions. And what do you do with unchecked, unaddressed intergenerational drama, but trauma? But then you have these positions of power. It's obvious why we have toxic organizations. And so I walk people through my own battles with, you know, with mental health. You know, growing up in Chicago, I've had PTSD, anxiety. I'm neurodivergent. You know, I have Asperger's. Um, And I've had to learn how to find healing, specifically as a man, because it's Mm -hmm. not masculine to say I'm hurting. It's not masculine in today's world to say I need help or, hey, man, can I just get a hug? I don't even want to talk. Just Mm -hmm. show me some affection. So I'm trying to be congruent by laying bare my narrative in hopes of helping people understand that all of us are worthy of respect, all of us are worthy of consideration, and if you take the time to move at the speed of grace, which in my in my humble definition is the opportune time to take action, you can get better results. Because, you know, we talk about the speed of culture and the speed of commerce, but the speed of grace, I was having a discussion with the physicist and I asked him, do you think you can measure God's grace in your life? And we concluded that mathematically you potentially can through the golden ratio, which is a design principle where you can find like harmony and symmetry in any object and that's what grace is for me through every chaotic experience in my life i found a sense of peace when i was able to look back objectively and see oh that's what it taught me Mm because every situation is a teacher if you look at it that way so that's what i'm trying to do because the culture right now we just way too cool (laughs) it's like everybody's too cool and it's like that's not real that's yeah. not real. We need to. We need to heal. We need to be honest about what we're going through. Do
0: you talk about your Asperger's um, in this book?
1: Yeah, in the first chapter.
0: Because the reason I ask is because I know that uh, there probably are people watching, especially people of color, yeah, who may be thinking about that. That may be what's happening with them, or yeah. that may be the case with them. I know yeah. that I've had that since or so that's been something that's been talked about in yeah. my world and you you, you want to know what are some signs or how do you diagnose it and yeah. what does it mean for your life and that means that if you look at the speed of grace the first chapter kind of gives you a little bit of information about that if anybody's absolutely. interested that's really great
1: absolutely
0: can we jump topics a little bit yeah uh, recently
1: yeah
0: there was a whole there you already know what i'm talking about <laughs> there was a whole thing with kanye yeah <laughs> and they were auctioning off a pair of shoes that you designed. Can you tell, talk a little bit? You designed it when his mother passed, or yes, what was?
1: Mrs. West, when she passed. Yes. Yes. Or Dr. West, I should say rather.
0: Yes. Um, Dr. West passed away several yeah. years ago.
1: Yeah.
0: You designed. Was he your friend? Is he your friend?
1: Yeah. So we um, we've known each other for a while, off and on, in various circles. Um, my father, when he came home from the military, went to college at Chicago State, where she was a professor. She was in charge of the English Lit Department at that time. So I would go to school with them. We couldn't afford a babysitter. I'm the second child of three. And I would go to college with my dad. Mm. And I would spend time in the library. I would spend time in his engineering classes. So I have a strong affinity for Chicago State. I grew up there. I knew of Dr. West as a professor before she was Kanye's mom. And I'd heard about this woman that came in and was taking charge and was like really pushing the fact that the vote, the literature, and spoken word, and critical discourse was so important to the maturation of the black child—like learning how to articulate yourself was critical. Seven, eight years old, you're hearing this, and you're like, "What's critical discourse? What mm-hmm. does that mean? What's rhetoric? What's logic? What's reason? How do you actually? What do you mean argument? For me, arguments were like I'm about to get in your face and scream at you. I didn't realize arguments were debates. Yes, right? Like they're argue the case. Argue yes. the case. Yeah. So I was enamored with the fact that she had like this aura around her of like being this person that was just magnificent and just completely in control of a a university full of very strong people. Um, So I just had always seen her in that light. So when years later, myself and Don C and all of us from that neighborhood of Chicago started to interact in culture, when she passed away, I had lost my grandmother when I was young and that sent me down a spiral of doing things and, and. low self-worth and just feeling completely you know uh, my grandmother was like my second mom so I, I kind of felt he's a creative person he clearly is neurodivergent like you could tell
0: you're saying Kanye is Kanye. neurodivergent you
1: can sense it in how he speaks Well, we,
0: we can't diagnose him but what we do you mean diagnose. by that
1: well when you as a person who's neurodivergent there's an inability at times for me to feel certain things or to stay on topic You know, like, Mm -hmm. and you can see these behavioral traits in other people and kind of wonder, like, huh, maybe he's like me. Because that's Mm -hmm. the thing I grew up wondering who's like me? Because I never felt like I fit in. Yes. I would ask my parents, like, was I born in the right time? Should I be from the future? Am I, should I have been in the past? Yeah. Um, Kanye has a very specific vision and and type of creativity. Um, I wouldn't know what to call it, but he does have his own way of seeing the world. And it was a private gift because I had lost someone. I wasn't in the public eye at that time when I lost my grandmother, but I still carry that hurt with me today. And so I figured, okay, I'm in a position to give him his favorite shoe in a form that will say, you know, here's the brand, here's my condolences to you, one Chicagoan to another Chicagoan who experienced your mother as a child before you were famous, and her impact on me wanted to have a command of language, Um, I wanted to thank him and say, you know, thank you for... Telling the world or sharing your mother with the world, but more importantly, our condolences. That was never intended to see the light of day.
0: How did it see the light of day?
1: We live in a cloud-based society, so I'm assuming somebody had the shoes. Um, whether or not they sold them for economic reasons, meaning they needed it, maybe that's the case. I don't know, but there's only a handful of pairs made. I personally never kept the pair. I thought it would have been egregious for me to keep something that's an you know, a, a artifact based on someone passing. So I don't know who got it to the auction house, Mm -hmm. but someone must have sold it.
0: Do you know who won it?
1: Uh, No, it has not been disclosed to me.
0: If the person who won it wanted to get it back to you, so you can get it back to its rightful owner, would you be open to that?
1: Um, I would, but I wouldn't know if the rightful owner would even want it. Yeah, you know, because then they would have to disclose that they sold it. Yeah, you know, I would rather them. Well,
0: to me, I'm saying the rightful owner is Kanye.
1: Right, if I want to say and I'm, I'm I'm assuming he still has his pairs because yeah. it was only a
0: so there were a few pairs made is what you're saying
1: really s- four
0: four and one of those is is out there, out there for nowhere. auction yeah. oh, i see I see yeah. and you have no recourse
1: I have no recourse yeah, I would hope that any proceeds that they receive go towards you know uh, Donda's house or yeah. you know something in, in 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 honor of dr West yeah. you know uh,
0: do you have an opinion of uh Kanye? today all the things he's said done anything you want to share
1: no nah, I don't I don't hold opinions of anyone because I don't understand his context you know I'm yeah. just trying to make it myself yeah I'm sure people hear me and have their opinions um yeah I can honestly say that I'm more deliberate in what I say because I understand the power of words and how they affect people mm-hmm. I care deeply about how I make people feel with my words um I don't know the nature of why he says some of the things he says. So I don't, that's the thing without proper context, it's hard for me to stand and, and, and critique his yeah. actions. But I do know for me how I show up, I try to be the opposite of you know what people would expect. I try to be kind and honest and compassionate even when no one's looking, because mm-hmm. I care deeply about, and my mind is this imaginary four-year-old kid that's always with me, staring at me like, whatever he's doing, I want to do. and I, I don't want to let that little kid down.
0: Oh, I wish more people would think that way. <laughs> <laughs> I wish more people, more adults would think that way. Um, and we would, I think, we'd have a much better life, you know, in general. I'm going to switch gears again.
1: Yeah.
0: What is your favorite pair of shoes that you have designed?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, all of the Becker Children Hospital shoes.
0: Okay, what time period would that have been?
1: That would have been from 2000 and roughly seven to 2011.
0: How many pairs of shoes do you own?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I think at my peak, because I've donated a lot of my shoes, probably about 10,000 pairs. Say what? 10,000, yeah. You at one time at, or over time? No, no, at one time.
0: 10,000, where do you hold them?
1: Storage units, yeah.
0: Units, plural.
1: Plural, yeah, at the time, Yeah. So
0: anybody who, <laughs> who thinks they got it. They ain't got, it. They, they, they they got know. It. Is there anybody who, it's kind of like versus, right? Is there anybody who you think is close that could compare to your collection?
1: Um... I would say the only person probably is, it's two people. Two people. Fat Joe. Fat Joe is a true purist. Like he loves footwear. Before it was popular, we have been giving Fat Joe shoes and jewelry brand for years. Mm. He's the kindest dude ever. Like Fat Joe is a sneaker. You would never know that he's an MC. Like he, he's deep into the culture. It's a gentleman named Major. You know, one of the first people who really made collecting a thing. He doesn't get the credit he deserves. DJ Clark Kent. Uh, and probably PJ Tucker. Okay. And stuff, you know, that I would think are the four people that probably have some unique pieces. But I have pieces that are one of one because I made them.
0: Yes, yeah, so how many have you made total? How many shoes, designs have you made, do you think?
1: Thousands of shoes. Yeah, i lost thousands. count.
0: Thousands, you have yeah. designed yourself thousands of shoes.
1: Yeah, so on average, if you look at, at one point I was carrying seven to 10 shoes a season. And then those have derivatives, with colors and materials multiply times 22 years in the industry. You can quickly get to thousands of pairs. It's wild.
0: And you, I mean, you're so young. So what do you do next in addition to writing and in and, and the legacy you already have and sharing that?
1: Use my privilege to help people. Okay. That's it. Like that's it. Like I, I use, I want to be a lighthouse. I want to be a spotlight. If I could be a lighthouse and show people there's another way To succeed, it might take a longer time for me to get to where I want to go, but I'll get there and I'll feel better about myself and I would have helped and shown everybody my failures and losses along the way. So I think that's what's next for me is is put on, put on as many people as possible Mm. and help them be prepared for the responsibility that comes with being put on. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people are given opportunities they're not ready for. They get stretched because they haven't healed. They haven't done the the inner work to know that we own nothing. We know nothing. We're stewards of everything, but we own nothing. Um, so I know I don't own any of my gifts and talents. I don't own anything. So I want to be a good steward of them, and make sure I help people live a life um, that has more than just an economic outcome to it. Mm-hmm. So we all chasing the bag. First of all, I ask people why is it running away from you? Why are you gonna say chasing the bag? Why is the bag running? <laughs> like anything for you should come towards you. I don't understand the concept of chasing anything. It should come towards you with with no effort. Um, so yeah, that's what I, I want to
0: sit with that for a little bit. As we as we wrap up, because that is very powerful. Yeah. Um, because I I've said uh, that money attracts money. We we all know that. And, yes. and if you don't have money, you become money. Yes. And then you attract it. Yes. And that's so true that people say I'm chasing the bag. I'm going after the bag. And is it have you found that when the bag finds you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that that's the best kind of alignment?
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Because um. Everything has a, has a price, and everything has a cost. And I tell people, the currency you use should not be your piece. You should not be paying for your success with your piece. Um, and I think you relate to this. When I got to Nike, I didn't know I didn't have credit, so I was sleeping in my car under my desk. So mine, <laughs> you get to your dream job, and I still don't have a place to live because Oregon wouldn't let me, at that time, rent an apartment because I didn't have credit. So I'm, I'm feeling ashamed that I'm taking showers in the gym and drawing sneakers that are over 150 bucks but I don't have a place to live and so that's when I realized like oh my trauma response was ambition I was trying to outwork my pain and once I got into a place of stillness and knowing that I am enough I lack nothing I'm perfect and complete and all things that are meant for me will find me everything started happening because I stopped having a scarcity mindset I started having a mindset of abundance And I stopped thinking about, let me hoard these things I have. And I felt if I give them away freely and I don't have an expectation of reciprocity, I'll never go without. So that's been my entire life. I don't covet anything. I give them my time as best as I can freely. I try to share and things just multiply for me. And I feel grateful for that.
0: Mm. Wow. Well, I'm even more excited to read both of your books. Now, I know I'm reading the kids book yeah. believe that. Um, and uh, I appreciate you and I wish we had more time, but I I know that someone a lot of people pick something up today yeah. that's going to help them in their life. Yeah. How do we keep in touch with you? How does somebody they run right now and find you on Instagram? Like what's your favorite place to um,
1: communicate? Instagram. Yeah, Instagram is yeah. super helpful because I can send quick voice notes uh, or send quick responses. Um, yeah. Email's a lot harder. Um, yeah.
0: The Instagram, what is the handle?
1: Oh, at Jason Maiden. Just regular old, the way the Greeks spell Jason, J-S-O-N. People like to put flavor on it. Nope, yes. It's the same at way Add an E been.
0: and that umlaut. No. Yeah.
1: Oh, I'm mean, like, <laughs> nope, it's the same way the Greeks originally came up with it in the, in the story, Jason and the Argonauts. Uh, just Jason Maiden. and It's pretty yeah. easy.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Well, thanks for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.